Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. There are no perfect leaders, as we can tell, whether that's a small group leader, a Sunday school class leader, or, or a pastor of a church, there are no perfect leaders. But we all come to the table with certain ideas uh, of what that leader should look like. We have certain expectations of our leaders, and there's also misconceptions about the leaders that uh, God gives us, pastors, step, uh, staff, whatever that may be. And the thing about it, when we come to the role of pastor, when we come to the design of pastor, God has certain qualifications. God has certain designs for a pastor. And here's the thing about it. God gets to set the job description, not man. God gets to determine the role of the pastor, the responsibility of the pastor, the reward of the pastor, not man. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And hopefully as we look at our passage of Scripture today, we can gain some insights into uh, the, the role, into the, the job description of a pastor or to God's design for pastoral leadership. We'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. As we look at these words this morning, it's my hope and my desire that we can see what God's Word says instead of what man says about this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, we're going to look at these words on the heading, God's design for pastoral leadership. This is what Peter writes. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In this passage of Scripture, I think there's three things we see about this. First, we see the role of the pastor. We see the responsibility of the pastor. And last, we see the reward of the pastor. Let's first look at the role of the pastor. It almost seems like y'all shouldn't be here because it seems like he's talking more to me uh, than he is to y'all. But uh, since you're here, let me go ahead and share with you, okay? Uh, Look at the role of the pastor. He gives us three words in this passage uh, to talk about. He talks about elders. This is where we get the word Presbyterian uh, at. He also talks about the word shepherds, or where we get our word pastor. And he also talks about the word overseer, from which we get the modern word bishop. So you see the Presbyterian, we got the pastor, and we got the bishop. And these are the things he talks about. And notice what Peter says at first. He says, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal, I appeal as a fellow elder. So Peter says, look, I'm an elder too. He says, says, I'm not above other people. So Peter's not establishing a hierarchy where he's over other elders, other pastors. He goes, he says, I'm just like you. I've got this role that I have as well. He says, so he's not creating a hierarchy where he serves over others. He says, I am just like you. But notice what it says in verse 1. He goes, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. This passage tells us something about Peter that we do not get anywhere else in the Scripture. You know the story of Peter. You know what happened on the day of the crucifixion. Peter here saying, I shared, I witnessed 
the sufferings of Christ. But we know what happened. That Peter was with them when they arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter fled. Now he fled to the inner courtyard where they were holding the trial. And as he sat around the courtyard, he repeatedly denied Jesus. He denied him. He denied him not once, not twice, but three times he denied that he had any relationship, any connection to Jesus of Nazareth. And on that third time that Jesus said that, it says that, uh, the, the gospel says that Jesus walked out and he met the eyes of Jesus and the, and the rooster crowed and then he remembered what Jesus said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And the scripture says that Peter went out and he wept. He wept. They were tears of repentance. So somewhere in the process of Peter weeping, he made his way to Calvary. He made his way and from a distance he watched the suffering of Jesus. According to the words of Peter. He said, I am a witness of Christ's sufferings. He witnessed it. And he watched the abuse. And he watched the ridicule. And he watched the one that he loved die upon the cross of Calvary. And it changed his life. It changed his life. He says, that impacted me. That suffering that I saw in Jesus impacted my life. Here's what Peter is saying. He said, it affected who I am. Here's what you get from that passage. What Peter saw changes life forever. And the gospel became real to him. It affected him. When a pastor stands in this pulpit, when he stands up here, you better pray and hope that the gospel is real to him. That he has experienced it in his life. Peter said, I have experienced the sufferings of Christ. I have witnessed it. It is real to me. You've got to have somebody up here that believes in the power of the gospel. And you've got to have somebody here that believes the gospel will transform people's lives. That's what he's saying. Peter's saying it impacts your life and it should impact your life as well. Peter believed the gospel message because he had experienced it in his life. And you should believe that about your pastor as well. Now let's look at the three words that Peter uses in this passage. The first word he uses is the word elder. Now the historical background of that word goes back to the Old Testament of the people that, that were helping Moses as he administered to the people of Israel. These were the elders. It eventually became known as somebody maybe older, but then eventually became known as an office, a position, an office, and it became to be known as a person who can give wise counsel. So an elder is somebody who's a counselor, somebody that can give wise counsel. Now, I'm going to admit, I am not particularly gifted at counseling. You know, I remember, you know, five years ago when I met with the pastor search committee, I told them, I am not a counselor. That's not my gift. And sometimes people come into my office and, and they want some counseling. And, you know, they always come to pastors because pastors are free. Uh, so, you know, they don't want to pay the big bucks. So they come to the pastor. I said, hey, you get what you pay for, buddy. So, you know, so they come into my office and they want some counseling. And I listen to them. And I listen to the story. And I'm saying in the back of my mind, I said, man, these people sure do need some help. You know, I sure wish somebody could give this some wise counsel. I don't know what's going to happen to them. Uh, they're in trouble. That's what they do. That's what I do. I'm not particularly gifted at counseling. Now, don't run away with that. That doesn't mean I don't give counsel. 
I give counsel every Sunday I stand up here and preach. Every Sunday when I preach from God's Word, I am giving people counsel. For instance, last week I told you how to endure suffering. Two weeks ago, I told you how to prepare for the end of times. And several weeks ago, I told you how to have a godly marriage. And if you will listen to the words, the counsel that I give you from God's Word, and you will apply them to your life, you will rid yourself of a lot of suffering and a lot of heartache. The greatest counsel I can give to the church is when I stand up here and I preach God's Word and I counsel you from God's Word. That's what I'm giving you today. As a matter of fact, if you look at it. So, so we see this idea of an elder or somebody who can give wise counsel. Then we come to the second word, is the word shepherd, where we get our word pastor. Verse 2, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. First thing I want you to notice about this, it's not his flock. It's God's flock. It's God's flock. And guess this, it's not your flock either. In other words, in modern day context, here it is, folks. This is not my church. This is God's church, and it's not your church. It's God's church. We are His church. That's what He's trying to tell us. He said, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. So even though it's God's church, the pastor has a unique role as the shepherd of God's flock. There's several roles that a pastor plays. One, the shepherd is to feed the flock. My job is to make sure that, that, that you are fed. How many times have you heard people say, well, I'm just going to leave and go to another church because my pastor's just not feeding me. Y'all ever heard that? Yeah, we hear it all the time. And so they leave church because the pastor's not feeding you. Unfortunately, we have taken a biblical concept and we have perverted it and put all the responsibility for feeding upon the pastor. And we take no responsibility whatsoever. But I learned something interesting about sheep and shepherds this week in my studies. A shepherd can lead the sheep to eat, but he cannot make them eat. Amen. Psalm 23. What does it say in Psalm 23? You know the psalm. He leads them to green pastures. He leads them beside still waters. He even later on says that he prepares a table for them. But nowhere in that psalm does it ever say that he stops and puts the food in the mouth of the sheep. He leads them where they're supposed to go. He guides them where they can find it. But they have the responsibility to feed themselves. So it's my job as, as the pastor, my job as the shepherd is to, to, to lead you and show you how to apply the Word of God in your life. But eventually, you've got to appropriate it. You've got to take it in. That's the way it works. So I have the job to feed the flock. But also the shepherd's job is to guard the flock. Now that doesn't mean that if you have a bully in your neighborhood, you call the pastor. Uh, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean if you're having a problem with somebody at your job, uh, somebody at, 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 in, in school, they'll call, I'm going to call the pastor and he's going to beat you up. My pastor is bigger than your pastor. That's not what that means, okay? When it talks about guarding the flock, he's talking about he's to, to keep you from harm and those who would deceive you spiritually. He's got to protect you from false doctrine. You have the right to expect me 
to be prepared when I step up in this pulpit and I preach God's Word, that I'm preaching the authority of God's Word and I'm preaching the truth of God's Word. You have the right to expect that. Now, I'm not here, listen, I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to make you feel good about God and His love for you. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm not here to give you warm, nice fuzzies. I'm here to point you to the truth of God's Word and what God's Word demands of you as His children. So, you have the right to expect that of me. So I study to do my best to present myself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the Word of truth. So he feeds the flock. He guards the flock. Third, he guides the flock. I discovered something interesting this week. Maybe you're finding it interesting, maybe not. In my study of sheep and shepherds, the 23rd Psalm and the various ideas of a shepherd, I discovered it was amazing. Did you know the sheep never tell the shepherd what to do? Isn't that amazing? The sheep never give orders, they never give commands to the shepherd. Could you imagine us telling Jesus what we're going to do? <laughs> we never do that. It's interesting. I, I found it interesting anyway, maybe you do. So he's the shepherd, he's the pastor, he feeds the flock, he guards the flock, he guides the flock. And this idea of guiding the flock runs really well into the next name given to the pastor, to the shepherd, which is the word overseer. This is where we get the word bishop, if you want to know the technological word. And to be uh, overseer means to look over. Uh, it means to have administration. It means to have leadership. If you take the word just exactly where it says an overseer, what does an overseer do? He oversees. He oversees what's going on. That's just breaking it down in a way that we can understand. What's he talking about? He's talking about leadership. Leadership. So the pastor, the elder, the overseer has responsibility under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the Good Shepherd to provide leadership for the church in the where the church is to go, how the church is to get there, and what the church is supposed to do. Amen. That doesn't come from the pastor. That comes from the shepherd. That's what God's Word says. God's Word says that the pastor, he's to be, be the, the, the elder, he's to be the shepherd, he is to be the overseer. That's what God's Word says. You might find it surprising to say that Western Heights Baptist churches don't function that way. That's not the way that we function. In 1998, Western Heights Baptist Church made an intentional decision, for whatever reason, to no longer be staff pastor-led, but to be committee-led. Matter of fact, when I was called to this church, I remember specifically a couple of the people telling me, that we're a committee-led church. That's the way we do it. In 1998, we had 1,648 members in our church 
we were running about 450 in worship, 350 in Sunday school. Today, we have 397 people on our rolls. We run about 170. I did my math. That means in 20 years, we've lost 62 people a year for 20 years. Beginning in 1998, when the decline began to happen. Now, before you get upset with me, and get mad, I'm not blaming committees, okay? That's not what I'm doing. I don't believe it was the committee's fault. There's lots of things that go on in committees. But let me tell you what happens. A committee is normally seven to nine people nominated by the church, voted on by the church. They get together in the various committees they form. They have their agenda. They have their ideas. They have their, their, their plans of what they ought to do. Every year. But then every year, that committee changes. Two or three people rotate off. New people come on. They have their own ideas, their own agendas, their own plans on the way things are supposed to be done. And then when you have this committee, this committee, this committee, this committee, my question is, which committee runs the church? Because each committee has their own ideas, their own plans, their own designs, their own philosophies. And the majority of the people, hear me on this, I'm just, speak, I'm just speaking truth in love, okay? The majority of the people are not really committed to the church. They're not there Sunday, they're not really there on Sunday morning in worship. They're not really there on Sunday night. They're not really there on Wednesday night. They're a warm body. They're probably not meeting together and praying. They're probably not meeting together and discussing what they need to be doing to church. So here's what happened. The committee structure says this is what we're going to do as a church. And then we as a staff, we meet on a Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday during the week, trying to figure out what are we going to do to lead the church, to direct the church, when the whole time we can't really do anything because we got to run it through the committee to get their permission to do what needs to be done. You see, the committee has no, they have no vision. They have no purpose. They have no idea of what they're supposed to do. Why? Because that's not their job. That's given to the staff. It's given to the pastor. Not because of man, because of God. He said, this is the way it's structured. So the pastor casts the vision. The pastor casts the agenda. The staff work together to make sure we're all on the same page. So here's what happens. We have a committee... Committees that have control, but they don't have responsibility. And we have the staff that has responsibility, but they don't have control. And so nothing gets done in the church. Why? Because we've got to have a clear vision and a clear purpose and a clear focus. What needs to happen, according to the Bible, pastor, staff, the called people called to the gospel ministry, those individuals that we call elders, shepherds, overseers, they set the agenda. They set the vision. Said, this is what God is leading us to do as a church. They pass it down to the committee. Now implement it. Make it happen. But what we've done is we flipped it. We're entrusting the guidance and the leadership of the church to people that do not pray, that do not gather, that do not read the scripture, that do not do it. All they have in mind is what they want to do and not what God wants to do. We've got it wrong. 
we've got it wrong. See, this is God's, this is idea is, is not God's design for pastoral leadership. The pastor and the staff, they set the agenda and the committees work to support it. Listen to the way the writer of Hebrews says it. Hebrews 13 verse 17. He says this, says this. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them. By the way, it says they keep watching you as men who must give an account. The role of senior pastor is given to men. It's not given to women. They keep, that's free by the way. Uh, they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. So the pastor is to be the elder. He's to be the shepherd. He is to be the overseer. So you better make sure that your pastor is praying. And you better make sure he's hearing from God. What needs to happen? Because he's the spiritual leader of the church. And he provides oversight, he provides direction, and he provides guidance to the church on what the church needs to do and where they need to go and how they need to get there. That's his job. That's the role of the pastor. Now let's look at the responsibility of the pastor. Verse 2 is a great passage of Scripture. Look at what it says. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. Being a pastor is not a profession. It's a calling. I still remember to this day the calling that God put on my life. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. That mom and dad loved me. Our two brothers, older brothers, and we were, all, we were involved in the church. You know, I've all told you before, we had a drug problem. We were drugged to church on Sunday night, drugged to church on Wednesday night, drugged to church on Saturday to work in the churchyard. We had a drug problem, okay? We was in church all the time. I didn't know what it's like not to be raised in church. As I got a little older, you know, I, uh, I joined the Navy. And I told y'all before, I took the Jonah plan. You know, I joined the Navy. I was, God had called me to preach. God had called me to minister when I was a teenager. But I ran from God. And most of my young adult life, I found myself running from God. Running from God. So I went, I joined the Navy. I remember my, when I left and joined the Navy, my dad shook my hand. He said, Bruce Jonah joined the Navy. <laughs> and I laughed. I said, ah, it's humorous, Dad. It's funny. And then when I was uh, in the Navy, I was coming back in the North Atlantic. We were caught in a terrible storm in the middle of the North Atlantic. We couldn't eat for three days. Couldn't cook food for three days. We couldn't sleep. It was terrible. And I remembered the story of Jonah. And I said, man, I hope my shipmates don't find out that I'm causing this storm. Uh, uh, that probably would not have ended well for me. And so I, got, I eventually made it home. And uh, I got to, went to work with my dad. And... Uh, Met my wife, you know, fell in love, met my wife, got married, had two wonderful little girls. And uh, there was something not right in my heart. There was just an uneasiness in my heart. I couldn't figure out what it was. I began serving in the church in various capacities. You know, I served as a youth Sunday school teacher. I served as a, a, chairman of the, a nominating committee, chairman of the nominating committee. 
you know, I worked as a, uh, I was called to be a deacon in that church. I served as a deacon. And then I was asked to serve on a pastor search committee to find our next pastor, the next shepherd of the church. And so we began pulling resumes and looking at them. On the second person we went and heard, we went and heard him on a Sunday night. His name was Toby Snowden. And he, I remember, I'll never forget his sermon. His sermon was Jonah chapter 1. And the title of his sermon is, God Pursues Those That He Calls. And I knew that I'd been running from God. So I went home that night, and I shared with my bride. I said, Gabby, God's calling me to ministry. She said, then he must be calling me too. The next Sunday night, I surrendered my will. I surrendered my life to full-time gospel ministry. And uh, two weeks later, I preached my first sermon. Never preached a sermon in my life. Two weeks later, I preached a sermon on Sunday morning. I preached why I love being a Southern Baptist. Uh, I, don't, I think I still have that sermon somewhere to remind me how far I've come. <laughs> sold my business. I got out of the business, sold my business, and went back to school. Why did I tell you that? I believe in a God-called ministry. I believe that God calls people into the ministry. I believe first God calls them into a relationship with Him. Then He calls some people, not everyone. He calls people into the ministry. God calls people to preach the gospel. This is not something you just decide you are going to do. You just say, well, He only works one day a week. I sure wish I could have that job. You don't do it because you want to do it. The pastor is a man who has been called by God. God. It's never to be a profession. It is to be a passion. It's something you're passionate about. Peter never, uh, Peter says that a pastor should never feel forced into this position, but it's something he's willing to do. Look at verse 2. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, because you are willing as God wants you to be. Then notice what he says. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. He says, no, you're not in it for the money. Uh, there are some people, there are some pastors, they're not interested in the flock as much as they are interested in the fleece. You're not supposed to be preaching for money. And of course, you say, we can fix that. <laughs> Don't misunderstand what he's saying. Peter's not saying that a pastor shouldn't get paid. Matter of fact, it is biblical to pay your pastor. That's okay to pay your pastor. The worst thing that could ever happen is for a man to be called of God to preach, to serve in the local church, and then he spends all of his time worrying about how he's going to pay for his bills and provide for his family. He said, you, know, you don't pay me to pastor, you pay me so that I can pastor. So I don't have to worry myself about the affairs of the world because I know my finances are taken care of in that situation. Verse 3, notice what he says. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you. I know what you're, you're focusing right now. You focus on the word lording. That's not the focus of the passage. You know, Jesus uses that word elsewhere. He says, you know, don't lord it over them like the Gentiles do, but be a servant leader. But that's not the focus of the passage. Notice what it says, not lording it over those entrusted to you. The key word there is entrusted. 
entrusted. So God, Jesus, the good shepherd, has entrusted his church to the care of the pastor, to the staff, to those called to be pastors. He's entrusted them. It's not his flock. It's God's flock, but he's entrusted it to the care of the shepherd to take care of his flock. He doesn't own it. He doesn't possess it. Take care of it. Then he said, not lording it over those and trust you, but being an example to the flock. He tells us how to do it. He tells the pastor how to lead the flock. He says, lead by example. Lead by example. He says, a pastor is to be a model. It's to be a pattern for others to follow. Now I realize there's areas in which I can improve. Can't we all? <laughs> there's areas in which I can improve. Improve, but one of the ways that I have tried to be faithful, that I've tried to lead by example, is I stand up here and I am faithful every Sunday to preach the Word of God. I very rarely miss. I may miss one Sunday. I never miss two Sundays in a row. You can count on me that I am going to be here and I am going to be preaching the Word of God. I try to be faithful in that. That's one of the things I try to model that for you. The model of faithfulness to be here. But guess what? I do that because I expect you to be faithful to be here just as well. You should not expect any more from me than I do of you. I try to do that. But there's other things I try to do. I try to be at every work day that we have. I don't make all of them. I try to be at every work day we have. I try to be at every conference that we have. I try to support the various ministries uh, of the children and the youth. I try to be there and be an example for others. If there's something going on, I'm here on Saturday mornings to pray. I'm here on Wednesday nights to pray. I'm here on Sunday nights to teach Bible study. I try to lead by example of what it looks like. And there's other things I do. But I've had a model that has served me for over 30 years in ministry. I will never, ever ask my people to do something that I have not done myself or I am not willing to do. Amen. You can count on me. If I ask you to clean toilets, I will clean toilets. If I ask you to knock down a wall, I will knock down a wall. If I ask you to visit the sick, I will visit the sick. If I ask you to take care of the homeless, I will take care of the homeless. I'll never ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself or I have not done myself. That has served me well for over 30 years of ministry. So we've looked at the role of the pastor, the responsibility of the pastor. Now let's look at the reward of the pastor. Verse 4 is a special word for Kip, a special word for you, my brother. George, a special word for you. Marcy, a special word for you, my sister. He talks about Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Notice again, the chief shepherd. When he appears, I'm not the chief shepherd. I'm just a shepherd. But someday the chief shepherd's going to appear. What's he going to do? Verse 4 says he's going to give us a crown of glory. He's going to give us a crown of glory. And it's a crown of glory that does not fade. It does not fade. One of these days, now the kind of crown he's talking about is a victor's crown. 
It's an athlete's crown. In those days, after they, they won the race, they would, they would put a laurel wreath on top of them or a flowered, uh, a flowered crown on top of their head. But they were perishable. They would wither and they would die. They'd waste away. But one of these days, my friend, God is going to put on the heads of these shepherds over the elders, the pastors, the overseers. He's going to put a crown on their head and it will never fade away. Years ago, a movie came out called Friday Night's Lights. You know, it's a story of the Odessa Permian football team. Uh, it's a true story. Uh, and in the story, uh, one of the fathers who's played by uh, Tim McGraw, uh, he was an alcoholic and abusive to his son. But he wanted his son to experience the same victories he had. And in one particular scene, if they had a hard time, he had a, had a, a, a state championship ring and he shoved it in the face of his son. He goes, this is all that matters. Everything else fades away. That's all that matters. Many people look at such achievements and they look at such accomplishments as the only things that matter. But everything we achieve here on earth, it will fade away. It will die. It will not last forever. The glory fades and it doesn't last. But Kip, George, Marcy, what you do for Jesus will last forever. What you do for Jesus will last forever. And one of these days, my dear friends, one of the days Jesus will give you a crown. He's going to place it upon your head. You'll say, well done, our good and faithful servant. So be faithful to Jesus. No matter what's going on around you, be faithful to Jesus. And when the battle comes, continue to be faithful to Jesus. And when the battle is over, you will achieve the victor's crown. I don't, I don't know if the crowns really mean anything. To be honest, I've thought about it. Maybe they're real. Maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe it's a figure of speech. However, I can guarantee you this. We won't be strutting around heaven boasting our crowns. <laughs> uh, we won't be bragging and, and look at what, what we got. How do I know that? Revelation chapter 4 verse 10 says this. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. And say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive power, glory and honor and power. Amen. You and I won't be strutting around heaven, boasting at our crowns. We're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus. Say, you are worthy. You are worthy. Yeah, I read these verses. And I realize how far short I fall every day of my life. Every day. You're never going to find a perfect pastor. Never. But ask yourself, is my pastor pointing me to Jesus? Because he will never fail you he will never disappoint you. He will never let you down. And my job 
God has called me here as pastor of Western Heights Baptist Church to revitalize this church so that we can reach the lost and the unchurched with the gospel and impact our community for eternity. That's God's call upon me here. And it's my prayer and my hope that you will work with me so that we can fulfill what God has called us to do. Make a difference for His kingdom here in Waco, Texas. Would you join with me as I pray? Father God, I come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to be here this morning, Father, to share your word. And we pray, Father, as we leave this place today, that God, you would challenge us to be more than we are. Challenge myself, challenge Kip, George, Marcy. Challenge us, Father, to truly lead by example. We submit to your authority over us, God. Father, we want to lead this congregation, Father, under your authority, under your supervision, Father, under your spirit. This is your church, God. And we pray, Father, that your will will be done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.